that with everything we are, that our last breath would be praising you, and that all of our breaths would be to praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. You and I might spend about 70 to 80 years on this earth. Not long when you consider the timeline of eternity. Have you ever wondered what life is all about? Every day we get bombarded with the message to pursue the things of this world. Make money, get stuff, be comfortable, live well. More, 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 and me, me, me. That's the prevailing message of our day. Our generation has a hijacked version of the American dream. But as Christians, we know deep down this distorted view of life isn't real life. We read what the Bible teaches and we see how Jesus lived. Every day we face a choice to pursue the me, me, me mindset of the American dream or to pursue Christ. What if this generation is willing to trade in the pursuit of the American dream for a world that desperately needs Christ to be traitors? A trader is a new kind of missionary, not defined by geography. Where you live doesn't make you a missionary. The mission you're on makes you a missionary. Being a trader is a movement that requires us to live out our faith, not just talk about it. As a trader, we must choose daily to sacrifice and be intentional with our time, money, and skills. We can be like the Good Samaritan in the parable. When we're on the road of life and see someone in need, we choose to help. We follow Jesus' instructions to go and do likewise. A trader must hate injustice and find specific ways to bring the hope found in Jesus to desperate situations. It's easy to identify what you hate. What makes your heart break and your fists clench? A trader sees work as worship. Everything you do in life, including your job, can be an opportunity to worship the God who created you. Because God is glorified when we use our God-given passions and skills with excellence. And finally, a trader must act swiftly because the time is right now. The result of all this would be a generation of traders who are making choices with their time, money, and passions that are kingdom-focused and not self-focused so that our short time here can have an eternal impact. So there was a cowboy from Wyoming, and he went to this bank in New York City, and he asked to see the loan officer. And uh, when the loan officer came to him, he said, I, I'm going to be going back to Wyoming for a couple weeks, and I'd like to borrow $5,000, and I'm not a, a creditor of this bank. I'm not, I don't have an account here. And the loan officer said, well, in order to secure this $5,000 loan, um, we're going to need something in collateral. And the guy said, well, I have my F-350 you know, custom truck outside um, parked on the street. Um, I can give that up for collateral. And they said that was great. He handed over the keys and the, uh, the title, everything was good. And they gave him his $5,000 and, uh, um, oh, and the loan officer said, oh, and by the way, because of, you know, the unusualness of this loan, we're going to need to charge you 12% interest. And he was fine with that. He said, that, that's fine. And, and so he handed over the keys and, and then he left. Um, later, the, the, the bank's president and its officers kind of enjoyed a good laugh at this cowboy who, who put up a, a, you know, a $55,000 truck to secure a $5,000 loan, and, uh, and then an employee of the bank then, then drove the truck down into the, the bank's under, underground um, garage and, and safely parked it there. And then, of course, two weeks later, the, uh, the cowboy from Wyoming uh, gets back to New York, and he pays the $5,000 
Uh, on top of that, the interest he paid was $23.07, and then he took the keys and the title back to his truck, and he went on, uh, was getting ready to, to, to leave. And the, uh, the loan officer said, sir, we're very happy to have served you. We're happy that this all went well. You know, we're, we're glad to have done business with you. But, but he said, we're a little puzzled. He said, when you left, we, we did a little research on you, and we checked you out on Dunn and Bradstreet, and we found that that you are a, a distinguished alumnus from the University of Wyoming, uh, that you are a highly sophisticated investor and a multimillionaire with real estate and financial interests all over the world. What puzzles us is why would you bought, want to borrow $5,000? And the good old cowboy replied, where else in New York City can I park my truck for two weeks for $23.07 and expect it to be there when I get back? <laughs> That was a great trade. <laughs> you know, and, and we have to realize that, that when we're pursuing the American dream and, and whatever that is for us, that, that we need to make good trades. And, and if you weren't here last week, I just want to encourage you to go online and listen to last week's message because it, because it is the foundation of our life in Christ. It is Christ in us. It's Christ in you. Christ in me, Christ in us. Jesus says that we can do nothing apart from him. He says, I am the, the vine, you are the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. It, 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 the life that we live and the trade that we make must first be built on the foundation of Christ. And, and of course, we talked about that last week, trading the American dream for Christ. Becoming intentional traders. Uh, and there were two phrases that I mentioned last week that, that I, just, I just, it's been so good for me to, think, to, to rethink about these. One is, is that we need to be Christ-intoxicated people. You know, we need to be people that are completely 100% influenced by Jesus Christ in all that we live and all that we say and all that we do. And that we need to be traffickers of the grace that he has extended to us. That as we go through our normal day and as we live our lives, that, that we traffic that grace, that we, that, 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 that we display it, that we, that we show it, that we, that we pawn it off, that, that, we, that we try to give it away. Christ-intoxicated people who are traffickers of grace. And, and, and we're, we're also people that know the mystery. The mystery, Paul says, that, that was once hidden but now has been revealed, and that mystery is Christ. It's Christ. It's, it's God having come down as Emmanuel, as God with us, and lived the perfect life and died and was, cruci was crucified and died and, and rose again and conquered death. And now, every day, every day, in churches and in relationships all over the world, through us, as, as, as people who have Christ in us, he, he, he looks to give that gift of salvation and that gift of Christ to, to people around us every day. We get to be a part of that. We, we get to be messengers of the mystery. And, and, and a part of that being messengers of the mystery, um, we describe that as then we become ministers. We become a part of the ministry. And remember last week we said that, that we, don't, we don't become Christ-intoxicated people who are traffickers of grace so that, and, and we don't trade for that so that we can go out and try really hard to bear fruit in our lives. That bearing of the fruit comes from God in us. It, it comes from the Holy Spirit. It's the, it's the fruit of the what? Spirit. And, and, and too often we come to Christ and we enter into that relationship with Him and we begin walking with Him through life 
And then, for, for some reason, somewhere along the way, we flip the switch and instead of walking with Him, we begin to work for Him. And, and, and all working for Jesus does is us tired and emotional. It's what it does to me. And, and, and that doesn't have to be the case. It doesn't have to be the case. So, um, this, this morning, what, what I want to talk to us about is this, this, this idea of ministry. Now, when we hear the word ministry, and, and I say you know, to you, we're all missionaries. You know, we, we are all ministers. We are all to be a part of the ministry. Immediately, you, it, I, more often than not, it has a negative connotation. Like, like we immediately think of chains or, or you know, I'm going to be, you know, it's going to take all of my time or I'm, I'm going to feel guilty or we feel guilty when we're not. It's not that at all. And I, and I want us to hear that today. I want us to hear that, that I don't care who you are, introvert, extrovert, somewhere in between, the three things that we're going to talk about today, we can all do, and we can do in a very natural way. Okay? Now, some of you, when you think about ministering, or we think about being messengers of the gospel, you think about talking to other people, and it scares you, and, and you become fearful. Uh, yes, ministry involves the giving of our time and, and serving, and there's lots of opportunities for that in Sunday school and in, in youth group. And, and, I mean, every day on a Sunday morning, um, there are lots of places and roles that need to be filled and are filled on a Sunday morning so that, so that when people come here, uh, especially people come here for the first time, that they know where they're going and they know what's available and they know where to take their kids. And, and, and we don't want any of that to get in the way of them hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, as I visited with a family who, who literally walked in, walked in off of the street last week to see if, they could, if, if we would do a funeral for their family, um, in, in talking to them and just them seeing our, our facility and, and having conversations, it's a huge opportunity to share the good news of Jesus Christ with them. And as a church, who are people who are all a part of the body of Christ, who are all pitching in in various ways, um, that is an extension of Christ when a, a, a family and a group of people come in these doors and we proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ to them. And they hear that and we pray that that bears fruit. And then Jesus, Jesus God's going to take the rest of that and he's going to do with what uh, he wants. But we need to be a faithful part of that. You know, um, being being in Christ, uh, being being messengers, it, it's 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 about being a part of the body, walking our daily lives with lives with Jesus and walking with each other. Now, sometimes, and and to use a sports analogy, sometimes we have people in our fellowships um, all over the world who are we would classify as they're they're sitting on the bench or they're standing on the sideline. And, and they're not involved in, in the game, if you will. They're not participating. Um, and, and I don't know if that's you. It could be. Um, and if it is, I want to challenge you this morning to think about getting off of the bench and getting into the game. If, if there's a way that, that you're not being a trafficker of grace, a minister of the mystery, um, I want you to be challenged this morning. And, and I want you to think about that when you go home. Because, and, and here's why. 
Have you ever had a, have you ever gone to the doctor and you say, oh man, you know, I've got this really sore back. It's just, it's just been killing me. And then, and then, and then to your surprise, the doctor starts poking other parts of your body. It's like, no, 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 the, the pain is right here and he's messing with your feet and with your toes and with your ankle and, and all of a sudden he turns your ankle a little bit and you're like, wow, that hurt. And what you find out is, that, that, that you, were, you had an injury that you didn't know you had and your body was compensating for that injury and other parts of your body were suffering. I view the body of Christ the same way. You know, when there are people who aren't in the game that should be in the game, the rest of the body suffers. It's, it's true and we're all important. We all are and need to be a part of the body and that includes being a trafficker of grace a messenger of the mystery of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So are you engaged? Or would you have to say you're sitting on the sideline? I mean, I, me personally, um, I don't, I don't want to be the fourth-string quarterback who, who you know, maybe is on an NFL team and they never get to play. You know, they're drawing a, an average, you know, small quarter of a million dollar salary. Um, you know, maybe I could handle that. I don't know. But... It, if the person is any sort of competitor, they want to be in the game. They don't want to be sitting on the sideline. And they want to be ready when it's their turn, when it's their time. And, and I want us to all view the, the, the life of the church and, and being messengers of the gospel in that same way. But oftentimes we're afraid. We, we come up with excuses or we think we don't have enough time. And, and, and honestly, um, I think that, that we need to make the time. I think we need to, to, to make room for that. Or maybe you think, I'm, I'm leaving that up to the experts. You know, Pastor Dave is there on Sunday mornings and at funerals and weddings and stuff. And he's the, you know, I'll just, you know, um, I'll try and get people there. Which, okay, we're going to talk about later. That's a good thing. But don't sell yourself short. Because we all have a testimony. We all have something that we can share. Even the quietest, most personal extroverts in the room. Because I know there's some of you in here. You know, I had an engineer one time. She, she told me this, and, and we'll see if you, if you actually can get this. Um, first service people didn't get it at all. Um, so maybe I should have just left it out. She said to me, do you know how you can tell when an engineer is an extrovert? And I said, no, how? She said, they look at your feet when they're talking to you. Thank you, Adam! Instead of looking at their own feet, they're looking at your feet, right? Okay. Um, um, let's show it up here. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. Pray also for me, Paul says, that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Paul is saying, essentially, pray that I'm not scared. I think. Paul is saying, you know, there are times when I feel anxious about this. And I'm thinking, you're Paul. You wouldn't, why would you ever think that? Why would you ever feel that way? But, but Paul himself at times is, is afraid and he's asking for people to pray for him. And I think we do the same thing for each other. We pray for each other that we would boldly be witnesses to the gospel, to this good news of Jesus Christ every day. Whenever I open my mouth, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the, of the gospel, Paul says. I think that's true for us. 
You know, I think maybe, maybe one of the reasons why you never talk to people about Jesus Christ is because you're afraid that somehow you're going to mess it up. That you're going to, somehow you're going to say something that's going to push them further away from, from the gospel and, and not actually be interesting to them and draw them closer. You know what? That's not up to us. You know, it, it's up to us to bear witness and, and God's going to do the rest. You know, I think God is big enough and powerful enough and sovereign enough to take some, some, some conversation hiccups that we might have and use them in the life of another person. I just do. Uh, so, um, we want to fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. Christ. Christ in me. Christ in us. So there's three things. There's three ways that we share the mystery, that we are messengers and, and that you can be if you don't see yourself this way. The first thing is this. Uh, it, it's to be in relationship. It's to be in relationship. Relationships with one another, within the church itself, the body of Christ, and, with, and in relationships with people who, who are not. I mean, it, you've heard the term holy huddle, right? If you only go from home to church to home to church to Bible study to home and you don't have any other acquaintances or friends outside of that, yes, you're encouraging the body of Christ, but, but that's only part of it. That's only part of being a, a messenger of the mystery. Jesus illustrated this with his own life. When, when, when he started his ministry, what did he do? He, he drew 12 men to himself. He, he called 12 men to come be his disciples. He said, I, you know, essentially, Matthew, come follow me. Peter, come follow me. And, and what did they say? Yeah, I'm in. Okay? They followed him. And, and then what did he do for the next three years? He lived life with them. They, they, they lived together. They ate together. They ministered together. They prayed for one another. Jesus, um, Jesus helped the disciples pull their foot out of their mouths sometimes. When, when they, they, they did stupid stuff, they made mistakes, they were selfish, Jesus, Jesus would lift them back up and dust them off and forgive them and, and, and teach them. And they grew and they grew. And then what happened? When, when, before Jesus ascends into heaven, Jesus says to the disciples, Guess what, guys? It's you now. Go. I want you to go and make disciples and, and to continue uh, what you know is to be the truth. And so Jesus walked this journey with them and they walked with him. And it's in the midst of these relationships that trust was built, that they saw Jesus for who he was. And, and it's in our relationships with people that, that trust is built. And, and as we live a faithful Christ-like life, being honest and open with other people about the mistakes that we make in life, they see that, that, that we're the real thing, that, that we're not just a, a Sunday, yeah, that's what I believe, in, and then the other six days of, of the week, we're just something completely and totally different. Yeah, we make mistakes. Yes, we screw up. We repent of those and we go on. God forgives us. And it's in the midst of those relationships that transparency begins to happen, genuineness and and, and honestly, to tell you the truth, I believe people begin to be interested in what it is that we believe and how we live our life. And I know relationships take time, but it's very important for us that we're willing to spend that time um, to, to break out of those close, familial relationships that we have. I was talking to somebody this week, and, and he asked me this question. He said, Dave, um, and it's a, a mentor of mine, he said, Dave, is, is your church a church of friends or a friendly church? Interesting question, isn't it? Is your church a church of friends or a friendly church? And as I think about that, I, the, what that says to me is, are we a church of, of families, close-knit 
um, tight groups of people that come here on a Sunday morning and we interact with just those people and we only interact with those people on, on the, during the course of a week. And, and so it gives the appearance of being warm, yet somebody new can come in the door and, and really it's not that friendly after all because, because they're essentially bouncing around from all of these little circles of people and, and not being included, not, not being, you know, ministered to. And, and I just throw that out there as, a, as something for us to think about. What, what, what does describe us? Um, let's make room in our weekly schedules for people that are on the fringes of our family relationships. You know, maybe, maybe you've done it before. Start a Bible study and invite some people that, you've, that you don't know, that, that maybe you know they're in your same same phase of life or whatever, you think you might connect well with them and, and, and have a Bible study. You know, I mentioned this towards the end of our Bible study last year and, and, and it was met with a lot of resistance. I, I thought, you know, here we have a Bible study that meets on Wednesday nights and, and there are at least three of us in that Bible study who could lead other Bible studies and I sort of pitched this idea very casually one night because I didn't, you know, want to be run out of town I said, you know, maybe next year we could, you know, the three of us could lead different Bible studies and, and, and we could invite new people. And, and of course, um, the problem, well, the disadvantage of that is we just love our small group and, and we love the people that are in our small group and we've shared life together and all of that. And, and, and we need that. We do. But the question is that, that I have is, who, who are then the others who are going to, to gather people and, and begin other small groups who will one day feel the same thing? And, and are we willing to take a big enough risk to say that that, that could happen with another group of people? You know, that, that we could develop that kind of uh, relationship for, to, to be messengers of the mystery. And we have to be intentional about it. Relationships can be very scary. They take time, most definitely. But for the most part, they're a joy. It, it, there's, there's fulfillment in those relationships. And uh, so let's be intentional about our relationships and sharing the message of Christ in the midst of them. Which brings us really to the second way that we can be messengers of the mystery, and that's through our conversation. Through our conversation. Um, we have conversations with people every day. I don't care how introverted you are. You have a conversation with people every day. Maybe it's the post office, maybe it's the convenience store, maybe it's, um, you know, at a restaurant, at McDonald's. You know, you have somewhat of a conversation with someone every day. We, we have, there's lots of conversations that happen here on a Sunday morning. We talk about the weather. We talk about uh, how bad the Rockies got beat last night. We, we talk, which is almost every day, actually. Um, we, we, we talk about, um, you know, oh, you know, we've, we just finished laying down our third cutting and we're hoping to get that. I mean, right? We, we, talk, about the, we talk about the latest and greatest game that we're playing or, or, or we, we talk about um, our children or our grandchildren. We have conversations with people every day. Even introverts have conversations with other people about those things, right? Who would even think that talking about our relationship with Jesus Christ could be that casual? And it can. Unless you buy into the lie that says that you should be afraid of talking about it. Which I think oftentimes we do. We, we struggle with that. 
Now, in the book Come Before Winter, Chuck Swindoll points out that the Apostle Paul stood alone six different times in speaking to often hostile audiences between his third missionary journey and his trip to Rome, okay? And if you're taking notes, this is found in Acts chapters 22 through 26, okay? Um, Those five chapters, 23 through 26, that's when he does this. And Swindoll says, do you know the method Paul used each time in those last five chapters? Swindoll says he used his personal testimony. Each time he spoke, he simply shared how his own life had been changed by the invasion of Christ and the indwelling of Christ's power in his life. Um, Not once did he argue or debate with them. Not, Not once did he preach a sermon. The reason, says Swindoll, because of the most convincing, unanswerable arguments on earth regarding Christianity is one's own personal testimony of the change that Jesus Christ has done in your life and in mine. No persuasive technique will ever take the place of your personal testimony. The skeptic may deny your doctrine or attack your church, but he cannot honestly ignore the fact that your life has been changed. He may stop his ears to the presentation of a preacher and the pleadings of an evangelist, but he is somehow attracted to the human interest story of how you, John Q. Public, found peace within. Think about that. It's true. Nobody can deny your own personal experience. And, and, and I think we often sell short the power of our own personal experience with Christ before other people that we work with and that we live with. Uh, turn with me to, to Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19. And we're going to read verses 1 through 10. Luke 19, 1 through 10. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a wee little man. No, it doesn't say that, actually. He was a chief tax collector, okay, and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So Zacchaeus came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and they began to mutter, He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, which he had, he was a tax collector, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. Now, he's not saying that he has salvation because he's giving all of his money away. He's giving all of his money away because of the change that just occurred in his life because of his experience with Jesus Christ. And, and Jesus says, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. Now, Zacchaeus had a story to tell, didn't he? Zacchaeus, in the next 
probably week or two or month, every chance he got when he was talking to people, it probably didn't matter who it was. He said, have you guys met Jesus yet? Have you guys met Jesus yet? And, and some of the people are probably rolling their eyes. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, this is really a real change in your life. We'll see. Well, he's showing that to be true by, by what he's doing with his money. Jesus has completely changed his life. All he had to do, Zacchaeus, to change the lives of other people was be intentional in his relationships about sharing the change that had occurred when he met Jesus. And his life... And his life was, was proof that it was changed. Now, I had a conversation with someone this week who said, and, and I know this person, and they're, 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 they're an introvert. They, they don't often you know, talk about even their own self, let alone other things. And, and, and they said to me, they said, you know, I know that, that we're, supposed to be, we're supposed to be ministers of the gospel and, and, and be evangelizing and that sort of thing, but I just... I just Again, there's that fear, right? There's that thought that it's, it's, it's this thing right here. And, and what I said to this person, and I want all of us to hear this this morning, is that, that you know, we all have a story. There's, there's something in our life that's happened. And, and, and we can tell someone else about it, right? And, and oftentimes... God puts us in the place to talk to somebody who's shared the same experience that we have. And this person shared to me that there was a time in their life where they just had this really incredible anxiety and, and, and they, were, they were afraid to die. And, and what they ended up doing was, was, uh, was in a sense, um, rededicating their life to Jesus Christ, saying, Lord, you know what? Look, I got this thing. I, I, again, I want to surrender this all to you. And, and they described to me that, that after that, there was this incredible sense of peace that washed over them. And this, the, the anxiety went away. And, and, and here's the point I want to make about this. Because that person may one day be mowing his grass in the backyard, and the neighbor may be mowing their grass, and, and they both stop at the fence, and they shut their lawnmowers off, and they have this conversation. And in that conversation, and we have those conversations if we're intentional about our relationships with other people, um, this issue comes up and his neighbor says, you know, I've been having these heart troubles and, and, and I'm really, really nervous about it and I have this procedure and you know what, honestly, gosh, I'm just, I, I, I'm kind of afraid to die. And what this other person can do who's, who's not an extrovert, who's an introvert, can simply share their experience about what God did in their life in that moment, that they had a similar thing. You know, I, I had a similar thing in my life. And, and this is what I did. We can all do that. We can all do that. So we need to think back of those times when when we know that, that Jesus has changed something in our life and, and be ready to share that with someone along the way. And there's every one of us who's a Christ follower in this room has one of those stories. And when we get the opportunity, it's just in conversation. We talk about it. We talk about it. I have a, another close friend whose dad was, was fighting cancer and I asked him one day, I said, hey, have you ever... Where's your dad at with the Lord? Where is he at with Jesus? And he said, I, honestly, I don't know. I've never, we've never really talked about that. And I said, well, I, you know, it might, might be a good thing to do. And that next week, he, in a, you know, in a, in a drive, had, had a conversation. And as I think about this person, I, 
everyday, average, normal person. And, and he just, in the pickup, said, Hey, Dad, I've been thinking about this and wondering, where, where are you at with Jesus? You know, what's, what's your relationship like with him? And his dad went on to describe his, his salvation experience. And, and, and it was at that point, there was two, there, it, it was just, I know on his part, as he's telling the story, it was just like this incredible, whew, Yes, now I know. Now I know. If, if his dad had said, You know, son, I, I don't really know. Then he, would have had to have the, then he would have had the opportunity to say, well, Dad, this is what I did. This is what I'm experiencing. This is, this is how I know life in Christ to be. And then, of course, uh, once, once that happens, after the conversation, um, in the relationship, the conversation, the third thing is, is the invitation. It's the invitation. And, and there's two different types of invitations. One is an invitation to believe, so, you know, what's keeping you from putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ right now? Uh, to be honest with you, that's the part of conversations that I really, that I really struggle with. Dick Young, um, I've talked to him. I've, I've heard him talk to other people. Man, that guy just, just, just comes out of his mouth. I have to be prepared, and I, I have to kind of know what I'm going to say and how I'm going to say it. Um, and, and even then, it's just trusting the Lord in, in making that invitation. Um, so that's one type of invitation. Flip a couple chapters forward, or a couple books forward to the book of Acts. Two chapters. Acts chapter 17. Two books. Luke, John, Acts. Acts chapter 17, and we're going to begin reading in verse 16. When Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. He's, he's developing a relationship with those people. He's, he's, and I don't know what this looks like. I, I, I doubt he's one of those guys that's just standing out on the corner of the street with his bullhorn yelling at people. I, I think they're having lots of conversations, and, and it says that, that he's reasoning with them. They're, they're, they're debating some things. And in verse 18, a group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers begin to dispute with him, argue with him. Some of them ask, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. They'd never heard that before. It was brand new to them. Verse 19, then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus. The, the Areopagus was their, sort of their council, their, their, their political, um, I don't know if it was like Congress or what. The Areopagus is actually a physical place too. I have a picture of it. It's, it's, a, it's, a, big, it's a big rock. You, it's a big rock. Hey, there it is. That's the Areopagus. And, and I don't know if the council met up there, if they felt like they got more power because they were higher than everybody. I, I don't know what that, that means, but um, that, that was where they met and they debated things. And so Paul is now before them. Verse 19, it says, they took him and brought him to a meeting. It, Paul was invited into this place. I, I, um, I talked to a friend uh, several months ago who shared Christ with one person. It was a neighbor, and, and, and it was a mom. And the mom said, hey, I, I really want my kids to hear this. Could you come back later and I'll invite them over and you could share this with them too? So there are times when we are invited into this kind of situation. Paul is invited into this, and, and, and 
And they say to him, May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we want to know what they mean. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. You know, this latest idea was the truth. How awesome is that? Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. You know, because he's observed. They've got idols everywhere. They're worshiping something. Um, For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. Now, what you worship is something unknown. I'm going to proclaim to you. I'm going to tell you who that is. You have this sense that there's this creator and this greater being. I'm going to tell you who that is. It's Jesus Christ. And he goes on to describe um, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth. He does not live in temples built by, built by hands and he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything because he, he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. From one man, he made every nation of men, being Adam, that, that they should inhabit the whole earth and he determined the time set for them and the exact places where they should live. God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as some of your own poets have said. We are his offspring. Therefore, based on all of that, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by man's design and skill. No, that's not our God at all. Uh, In the past, God overlooked such ignorance. But now, now that the mystery has been revealed... He commands all people everywhere to repent, for he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed, Jesus Christ. He has given proof of this to all men by raising him from the dead. And when they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered. I mean, really? You're talking about someone coming back to life? Get out of town. But some of them said that. But others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. And at that, Paul left the council. A few men became followers of Paul and believed. Among them were Dionysius, a member of the Areopagus, also a woman named Damaris, and a number of others. You know, oftentimes, I think in our our relationships with people, those people are actually waiting for us to invite them. They're waiting for us to invite them. Now, we all make invitations, right? I, I would bet if I asked this question, is there anyone in the room who has never invited anybody to anything, nobody would raise their hands? Hey, you want to come to my birthday party? Right? That's an invitation. Hey, you want to go out to eat? Invitation. Hey, you want to come over and watch a football game? Invitation. You want to go to the movies? Hey, do you want to go to church with us? That's an invitation. Hey, we're having a men's golf thing on the 20th, and I know that you golf. Um, in fact, I know that you're better than me, but I'm going to invite you anyway. Um, you want to come play golf? It's, it's a bunch of guys from our church. That's an invitation. Take every opportunity to invite, to, to, to bring people into, into contact with other people. And who knows what the Lord's going to do with that. But we have to get off of the bench and into the game and, and intentionally, on purpose, think about opportunities that we have to do that. Here's one way that we could make the invitation. Can you guys see the whole screen with me sitting here? Kind of. And I keep wanting to share my heart. When I want to say, 
someone to church, but maybe not that way, right? Uh, mowing your lawn at six o'clock in the morning and then leaning over the fence and inviting your neighbor to church, probably, you know, there's a line there, you know, and you, I think you all know individually with the people that you know what was acceptable and how persistent you can be, you know, every week, hey, we'd love to have you guys come to church with us. Hey, we'd love to have you guys come to church with us. And they, they'll often, you know, give an excuse, oh, I'm busy or we're committed here, we're committed there. And, and, and in maybe one day they'll say, would you just stop asking me to church? Well, you know, if somebody said that to me, I'd give them a month. And then I'd probably invite them to something else. I mean, honestly, the question is, do we care for these people? Do we care for people? Do we want to be messengers of the mystery? Yes, yes. And I, I want all of us to get off of the bench and into the game and, and think of someone this week that you could invite to come. Just so happens that we're having church in the park, not even in a church building. We're having church in the park at 9.30 next week. Hey, would you guys... We're, we're doing this special thing we do once a year where we, we have the service and the music in the park and we do a baptism at the swimming pool and then we have this amazing meal. If you've never had a cream can dinner, oh, you've got to come. Who could turn that down, right? Invite them. Invite them to come. You know, bring a lawn chair and, and we'll meet you there. Let's meet at night. You know, don't invite someone to church and then, you know, sit with your family and ignore them on the other side of the, of the, the park, right? I mean, when, when we are intentional about this in our relationships, we invite people to come and then we are with them. You invite somebody to church. You, you wait out at the front door for them to show up. And, and you meet them and you say, hey, here's the coffee. Let's get some coffee and there's information if you need it. And the bathrooms are over here and, and, and let's go in here and we're going to sit with you and just make the invite, right? Relationship, uh, relationships, conversation, and invite. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you, thank you, thank you that you came to be in relationship with us. And I pray, Father, that, that, that every one of us in this room have responded to that and we've received your forgiveness and your grace and your mercy. And Lord, if there's somebody in this room who, who, who doesn't know, maybe, maybe in talking about um, the illustration of, of where they're at with Christ, they, they don't know. Lord, I pray that maybe today would be the day that they have that question answered. Today that they would surrender their life to you, that they would, that, that they would um, repent of trying to, to live life on their own and get to heaven themselves, and they would recognize that it's only their faith and trust in you and their surrender of their life. They would confess with their mouth that you are Lord. Believe in their heart that 
they would be saved by you. And oh Lord, um, I want to pray for 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 all of us here today who maybe we're just busy. Maybe we, we we just we're so scheduled that we don't even know when we would even think of talking to someone. But even in the midst of that schedule, Father, we have conversations and relationships, and I pray that you would as we think about it and as we pray for boldness for one another and for ourselves this week, that we would see that opportunity that you give us and, and we would seize it, that, that, we would, that we would make the invitation, that we would have the conversation, that we would share what you've done in our life. And that would lead to further conversations and salvation in Christ. Lord, we want to we finish our morning with proclaiming the, the good news of your name. We want to give of our tithes and our offerings and And Lord, I just thank you for for this day and and all who are here in Christ's name. Amen. Will you guys join us in our last song as the ushers come forward?